This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're talking about superstition and rituals. Why are people superstitious? Does superstitious behaviour really make you luckier? And do these rituals have any psychological effects? And are we going to learn some? Fingers crossed, yes. Let's get on with the show. So are you a superstitious person? Uh, I'm boringly not, no. Touch wood? Touch wood. Uh, touch veneer. Touch plastic. Cross your fingers? Um, only at cash points when I'm trying to get some money out. <laughs> So really, no superstitions no, at all? No, none at all. You are very unusual. I'm, I'm totally reasonable. Um, let me think. I, know, I, I don't know. Behind the facade of reasonableness, I'm sure there's some sort of superstition going on there. I, I just can't. I can't think of one. I mean, my family, there's all sorts of batshit ones that, that come out of the woodwork. Okay. I mean, some people think the word batshit was a judgmental word to be using in terms <laughs> of superstition. And, not and me. Not me. No, no, absolutely no. I mean, can I give you an example? Yes. Okay, so my brother and I were listening to the cricket in his car and it gets very tense and he says, oh, sorry, I just need to pull over. He pulls over to the side of the road and swaps his shoes onto the wrong foot and he said, because I did this once and England won and so now I need to do this. I mean... Batshit within that context is he had to carry on driving <laughs> she was on the wrong feet. But were you overly, and England lost. Right. Were you overly nervous that you're in the car with somebody whose shoes are on the wrong feet? Um, no. So that's an interesting one. I mean, most people have got some kind of superstitious behaviour. So even people who say we're very rational, very scientific, they will do touch wood, cross fingers. What about whatever. you? What about you? Uh, I have a lucky pair of socks. Do you? Yes. I'm not wearing them now, actually. Uh, so when I've got a very uh, difficult... Well, I think it's going to be a difficult talk to do. I always put on my lucky socks because once I had a very difficult talk, walked out, stormed it, and I got my socks on. Uh, what's lucky about them? It was the only thing I was wearing. <laughs> so I think it uh, distracted people for a while. You reckon it's the socks? But it is, that's, what's ama- <laughs> that's what's amazing about this. Is I came out naked and everyone just clapped. Huge round of applause <laughs> before the exodus. It's definitely the socks. So that's what's amazing about superstition. It can be like one trial learning. And that's unusual for us. Normally it takes a few trials to uh, to actually pick up something. But here, brother changes his shoes once, uh, England does well, and now that becomes behaviour for the rest of his life. Same as me and my, my lucky socks. It's a uh, mental image that I will have forever and treasure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but most people describe themselves as, as superstitious at uh, some level. And these things go back a very, very long way. This is not a recent development. There is something in our DNA, something in our brains, which which goes, you know what, I'm going to believe in superstition. I mean, this show is about answering people's questions. And I have to say that we've had so many questions about various superstitious rituals. We're probably not going to have time for all of no. them. But we, we should say a big thank you, though, to everyone yes. who, who sent them in. We love reading your questions. And these particularly are really lovely to read out. Emma has written in to say, I think this is an Irish tradition, as I've never seen it in the UK. When a woman gets engaged, she gives her engagement ring to her female friends. They put it on their ring finger, turn it three times towards the heart and make a wish. The only caveat is that you can't wish for love or money. What can you wish for then? More wishes 
a house. A house. Just, yeah. Yes. Uh, Joe says, I don't do any washing on New Year's Day. I've heard this one before. In case I wash a member of my family away. I haven't heard the second part. It's just don't do any washing on New Year's Day. My great nan always used to say it to us. She was in her 90s and none of our family do. I mean, I'd say don't do any washing on New Year's Day because you're horrifically hungover and you're just not up to it. Just leave it. It's fine. They are great, though. We, at one level, we know it's not true. Another level, we're still eager to, to do it. And they go back a long way. So, you know, touching wood, some people argue, is trying to get the benign pagan wood gods uh, on your side. Not walking under a ladder is because it represents like the Holy Trinity and you're breaking uh, that. No, the, the not walking under a ladder just makes perfect sense because you don't, that's dangerous. Well, if there's people someone... won't do it even if there's no one on the ladder. I've, I've done lots of, sort of secret filming for, for TV where you get people say, oh no, I'm very rational. And then you set up a ladder around the corner and they walk and they're avoiding walking. In fact, they'll step out into busy traffic sometimes oh, to right, avoid okay. walking under the, the ladder. But then, so, you know, if you don't know how secure a ladder is. It's basically temporary heavy structure. Do I want to walk underneath it? I think that one's perfectly respectable. So going back to the benign wood gods. Yes. Mm, more, more. So these they like being touched. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, they're very touchy-feely, the benign wood gods. I don't know anything about it. I'm, I'm just saying that that's where people trace it back to. That's uh, great. 13, unlucky, because uh, 13 people at the Last Supper. Yeah, obviously. My, obviously. My favourite number 13 one is the Savoy, where in the uh, 1880s, they had somebody who had 13 guests at one of their private dinners. And then the host of that dinner was shot in a high-profile murder a few weeks later. So now, whenever they have 13 guests, they have a wooden cat called Casper, who joins the party to make it 14. And they serve a full meal to Casper in order not to have 13 people around the table. That sounds very true. Either this is the most specific lie you have ever told me, or this is... My understanding is it's true. I mean, I've never been do, there when Casper's come out. Or does the full told, meal for the wooden cat get yes. put on your bill? That is a very good question. Because this I don't might know be some sort of cunning strategy by the Savoy to yeah, just who get... picks up yeah. Casper's meal. Or you could sit in the foyer and you could offer to take the role of Casper whenever there's 13 people there and get a free meal. You've inspired me. This is now what I want to do with the rest of my life. That's great. We've also got a voice message sent in by Stephen Dinsdale about a superstitious ritual that his friend has. Let's listen to that. Hi, Richard and Marnie. This is Stephen. You asked about superstitions. Well... I was walking around the shops with a friend and we inadvertently walked under a ladder. I thought nothing of it. And then he suddenly panicked and looked at me and said, oh, no, that means I have to keep my fingers crossed until I see a dog. So we then proceeded to walk for, I don't know, must have been half an hour to an hour before we finally saw someone walking their dog on a lead. I've got a feeling, though, he was having me on. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Oh, thank oh, you, Stephen. Thank you. That's oh, lovely. But that's it does great. Show... That's yes. like layering all of the superstitions together in one uber ritual. And I also like the idea of pulling somebody else's leg. It's not being true. You just go, you, it's not true. You just go, oh, I've got this idea. We're just going to walk around. We see a dog. It's wonderful. Um, but it shows you, you get this with the lottery, where people kind of get entangled in superstitious behaviour. So if they choose the same numbers every week and keep on losing, they're then afraid the one week they don't choose those numbers, they're the ones that are going to come up. That's, so they play the lottery again do, and again. Yeah, that's why I do lucky dips. Right. Well, we did an experiment with the lottery when it first launched. Uh, Matt and I, Matt was my research assistant at the time, and we asked a 1,000 people who are going to play the lottery 
whether they were going to do any superstitious rituals and how lucky they were, and also to send in their lottery numbers. And this is before the draw, obviously. Send in your tickets to Richard Wiseman. Exactly. He will look after them for you. <laughs> Just the numbers. So they all come in, and Matt and I enter into a spreadsheet. And then we think, even though we're, we're sort of scientific and, and sceptical, we think, what if there is something to it? What if these lucky people really do have the winning numbers? Or all these bizarre superstitious rituals really do have some kind of effect? If so, because we got the data from about 1,000 people, we could figure out the winning numbers. And so we did this analysis where we worked out what the lucky people were choosing, but the unlucky ones uh, were avoiding. Uh, and the same with superstitious rituals. And we came out with the, the six numbers that we thought would win the lottery. And I, I dug out the records uh, here. So the, the numbers were 1, 7, 17, 29, 37, and 44. So for the first and only time in my life, I went and bought a lottery ticket with those numbers. And then Matt said, hold on a second, if we win, are we going to share this prize? And I said, I don't know, I've really thought about this. So he went out and bought a ticket with the same numbers as well. So legally, uh, we're in a, in a good position for sharing the money. Then we watch on a Saturday night, convinced we've got the winning numbers. Numbers come out, 2, 13, 19, 21, 45, 32. I'll do the uh, analysis for you. Not one of our numbers actually matched. So I lost a pound on that experiment. It's the most money I've ever lost on a scientific <laughs> experiment. Really? Uh, Commiserations. So, Do you so, not claim that back on sort of expenses? <laughs> it was amazing. So we actually got ourselves into this mindset of thinking, maybe there is something to it, and found out there wasn't in terms of the lottery. We're not who, the only... who would have thunk? And well, we didn't. You're listening to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, and in this episode, we're talking about superstition. Mark Levin did a great experiment with black cats. So he got someone to do a sort of coin tossing task. Then he persuaded a black cat to walk across their path, which apparently would bring them good luck. Did the coin tossing task again. No difference. How do you persuade a cat to do anything? That's not in the research paper. Because that's the really interesting thing. So yeah. I went to uh, a research station where they were working with dogs, trying to get them to sniff out explosives. Mm. And, it's not um, in their best interest, I wouldn't have thought. No, probably. But they were immediately rewarded by short-term treats mm. versus risk of death. So they were going for that. And the researcher said, interestingly enough... Cats have the same level of olfactory superiority to humans. They can sniff this out as well. And I said, have you tried this experiment with cats? And she said, no, we can't motivate them to do anything. Oh, um, yes. And I said, stupid cats. And she said, well, no, stupid us that we haven't found the way to motivate this animal that does have this potential to do what we want. So dogs, you get them to do something and then you reward them. My guess with cats is you have to reward them first. And, and then, then they'll think about it. Then they'll it. think about it yeah. if you ask them nicely. Can we do a show about the psychology of people that love cats versus people that love dogs? Yes. Good, thank you. Yes, we need those questions now from everyone. Do you love cats or dogs and what sort of person are you? Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, no, I've done, I've done work on personality okay. of pet owners. Yes. And uh, my main fascination was if you've got a reptile, what that says about you. And all will be revealed in a future episode. Excellent. It's not good. So, yes, yeah, so the superstitions go back a long way. Any research that looks at whether they affect chance events, like a coin tossing task uh, or the lottery, no difference at all. They don't work in any kind of paranormal, supernatural way. So researchers have repeatedly checked whether superstitions are true. Yes. Have they found any truth in it? Not when you're up against a chance task. 
So basically, if you go to the casino and you're going to play roulette, it doesn't matter whether you've got your lucky socks on. Have you tested this? Yes. However, With no. someone else's money? Uh, no. However, that doesn't mean they don't have any effect at all. And I have brought along a very sophisticated scientific setup here. Yes. To, uh, so you can do a little study right here, right now. I should say to our audience, uh, it's tiddlywinks. It's tiddlywinks. You know, I, for I, science. Are you any good at tiddlywinks? I am an exciting combination of bad and competitive. Brilliant. Uh, that's the big tiddlywink. Yeah. And these are smaller tiddlywinks. So just to explain, in front of us, we've got a tiddlywink target, which has got different sections on it. Uh, so you get two points, five points, ten points. Then around the edge, uh, there's some uh, other little circles. If you manage to get your tiddlywink onto one of those, you get 20 or 30 points. So you are tiddlywinking over the pieces of plastic, trying to get it onto the target, and then you earn X number of points depending on where it lands. I mean, I'm assuming that all of our listeners actually subscribe to Winking World, uh, the English Tiddlywink <laughs> Association's monthly magazine, so they know all this anyway. I know I do. Away you go. I'll keep score. The pressure's on. That was pretty good, actually. You just got 20 points. Jackpot. Let's go into that corner. That's another 20 points. <laughs> this is not how the experiment's supposed to run. Oh. Another 20 points. Bing. Ba -bam, ba -bam, this is the best tiddlywink performance I've ever seen in my entire life. 10 I want, points. I want to get one in the... Yeah, in the pot. In the pot. Uh, and nothing on that one. Can okay. I, okay. No, that's no. it. Uh, so we've got 20, 40, 60, 70. I'm going to write that down on my very sophisticated spreadsheet here. Mm -hmm. So bits of paper. Bits of paper. You've got 70 points there. Yeah. That's what we're going to call the control session. Okay. However, now I'm going to give you this lucky charm, a ring that used to belong to the world tiddlywink champion. <laughs> I love who, that Richard can't say this with a straight face. <laughs> You've got you, your lying eyes on. I have not got my lying eyes. <laughs> you can be as sceptical as you want. Yeah. But when they gave me this ring, yeah. they, <laughs> they said, Richard, I have won so many tournaments now. Yeah. It's, it's just embarrassing. So they're passing it on to me. So you get this lucky charm to hold in your non-tiddlywinking hand, whichever one, uh, there we are. You can put it on as well. Yeah. There we go. I can uh, feel the power. You can feel the power flowing through you. So now I'm hoping you're feeling a lot more confident and you're going to have five more goes yeah. with the tiddlywink wearing the lucky ring. So excited. You watch what happens here. This okay. is going to be amazing. This is science in action. Five. Well, five points. That's, yeah. That's not great. Well, okay. do try. Two points. Two that's, points. Okay. Yeah. We're up to seven already. <laughs> Am I ruining science again? Two points. Oh, no. Yeah. Two points. Oh, no. Yeah. Come on. And, and one flew off completely. So let me Stupid add all these game. up. So that's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. But if we add a zero on the end, it yeah. becomes 110 and the experiments worked. Yay! So what happened there um, was... I was an, a statistical anomaly. You'd be an, an anomaly. But we at least see how the experiment should work, even if the results were what I would refer to as disastrous uh, for the, uh, the theory. <laughs> Do you think it's because I didn't believe you when you said that this was it a special... not believing me. It was the level of scepticism <laughs> and defensiveness. I've done, enough, I've done enough episodes to kind of mistrust everything you say now. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> But what we did do there was do what a lot of researchers are now doing, which is to give people a task, like a golf putting task. Yeah. Then you say, actually use this putter because it's a lucky putter used by golf champions. And allegedly, a bit of controversy about this, but allegedly uh, that people become better at golf putting. And that stuff 
people have tried to replicate and it's a little bit shaky. But what's associated with that and is on firmer ground is the impact of rituals. So if you carry out some kind of ritual, for example, putting salt on a piece of paper and then folding it up and putting it into your pocket, actually people do perform better on these tasks. And it might be public speaking, it might be tiddlywinks or whatever, but rituals do seem to have an impact on people's behaviour. This might be a good point to bring in Kyle's question. He wrote via Twitter, I've heard athletes not washing an item of clothes during a winning streak or other similar rituals correlate to increased performance. So from what you're saying, that's what might be going on. Some sort of ritual for the athlete that gives them more confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where you see superstitious thinking at its best. So anyone who has to do well in a certain window, when they're up against chance elements, and that's certainly true of athletes, it's certainly true of performers, tend to be a very superstitious lot. So they'll lace their boots in a certain way or not say certain words backstage and and, and so on. And what we're seeing is that actually it gets the roots of why superstitious thinking has survived the test of time, which is that it does have an impact. It doesn't help you against chance events. What it does do is make you less anxious. And when you lower anxiety, often performance becomes better. And so if you take your lucky mascot into an exam, actually you might feel a little bit more relaxed and perform better in the exam. So it's a really nice example, again, I've mentioned this on other episodes, of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It'd be really easy to go, oh, superstitious behaviour, that's all irrational, let's not bother looking at it. In fact, when you do, you find out there's some really interesting psychology there. Have you looked at a correlation between superstitions and certain different types of sports. I know that some sports are supposed to be much more psychologically fraught than others. So snooker apparently is a big mind game. And so I'm just wondering whether you get more superstitious players because it's actually more of a benefit to them to dial down that anxiety. It's a very good question. My guess would be the more chance you have in the game, the more superstitious the athletes would be. So, for example, I could imagine snooker, where I'd imagine there's quite a lot of chance, or tennis, where there would be you can't control everything. That's where you'll get your superstitious behaviour. Something like chess, probably not quite so much because there's not quite so much chance involved there. And so that's, that's true of performers. I mean, they are at their most superstitious when that performance really matters and, they're, and they know they're anxious. I mean, some superstitions in um, performance have got really interesting backgrounds. So, for example, not whistling backstage is because in the olden days, Victorian times, they would use sailors to fly in uh, the, the kind of backdrops and so on. It was all done on whistles. So whistling backstage was a really bad idea because it was giving signals. Oh, did not know that. So some okay. that. But other ones, you know, like not mentioning Macbeth said it now, are just, you know, things that have grown up over time. But it, what it does psychologically is reduce the anxiety and therefore potentially increase performance. We've had a question from listener Ellie Gould about the origins of superstitions. My question is whether the rise of superstitions or the origins of superstitions have anything to do with the rise of organised religions? So I, it's a good question. I don't think that's the case, but I'm not certain. What is interesting is in terms of societal factors, what they're absolutely associated with is economic well-being. So when you get a downturn in a country's economy, 
you get people a lot more interested in the paranormal, the supernatural, going to psychics and becoming more superstitious. And that is because they're worried and they're looking for magical solutions. They're looking for people to go, actually, this is the answer to all of your questions. Or if you do this very simple thing, you'll feel a bit less uh, worried tomorrow. So there have been some very nice studies that have looked back over uh, the economic well-being of certain countries. And when you get that dip, suddenly you get this rise of interest in the paranormal and superstitious behaviour. Okay. And and is playing the lottery a a kind of sign of superstitious behaviour? Well, no. I mean, people do it for all sorts of reasons. Often what it's a sign of is not quite understanding the odds. You know, I, I always say, and this was, I don't know if it's true at the moment, when the lottery first started, it was about 50 to 1 to win £10. Uh, so the tickets were a pound and you'd win £10 uh, if you match three numbers, about 50 to 1. And I would say to people, you know, here's a deck of cards, you name a card, and if you can cut that card, then you get £10. And they go, oh, don't be daft. There's no way I can name a card and cut to it. That's never going to happen. Actually, that's about uh, 50 to 1. So uh, I think once you make these things concrete for people, then suddenly their behaviour changes a little bit. But, you know, the, because it's a chance event, there's all this sort of superstitious thinking around it. Do you know anything about magpies? Why they've been singled out amongst the bird world? I do not know. No, I know that you're supposed to salute them or something, aren't you? There's a whole, hello, Mr. Magpie, and how's your wife today? Otherwise, you get bad luck. I know my mum, if she gives a wallet or a purse to somebody, has to put money into it. Otherwise, it's bad luck to give them an empty wallet or purse. Ooh, same with a knife. If you give someone a sharp knife, that's bad luck, unless you also give them a penny. And a magpie. And a magpie. Boots on the table. That's bad. Opening umbrellas indoors. I mean, that's just stupid because, you know. We did a TV show years ago where we decided to break all of these superstitions and show that bad things didn't happen. It was hard when we went out on the street. You'd you'd find people, I'm very sceptical and believe any of this. You'd bring out a mirror and a hammer and say, (gasps) oh, just break this. They wouldn't do it. They would not do it. And so on camera, we decided to be terribly rational and we smashed the mirror and a tiny piece of glass came back and cut me on the forehead. That's really bad. It was bad. Did it then bleed for the following seven years of your life? That's right. Thank goodness I managed to salute a magpie <laughs> about a month in. So what we've learned is never smash mirrors because that's just a bad idea. I think what we've learned is that superstitious behaviour is in our DNA. It, it goes back a very, very long time. And there is a reason for that. Not that it's, it's true, but it does have a psychological effect. Potentially, it can make you feel less anxious because these things bubble up in uh, situations where we do feel very worried. So it makes you feel less anxious. Therefore, you might perform better in particular contexts. So again, on the face of it, of course, doing these things is irrational, but sometimes it's rational to be irrational. And even though this ring makes me rubbish at tiddlywinks, it's quite pleasing, so I might, I might just keep it, thanks. Cheers. From Podomo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podomo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.